You're listening to Dirty Feet, a podcast from No More Radio. Vous écoutez le podcast Dirty Feet sur les ondes de No More Radio. Hosted by, animé par, Alison Burns, JD Papillon, et Stéphanie Morin-Robert. Stay tuned. We're going to move you. This week on Dirty Feet, we have a, a pair of guests that we've been trying to book for a while now, and finally we got them in studio. It's uh, our old co-host, Jen Doan, coming in with her collaborator, Ted Strauss, to talk about their latest project that looks like an epic affair. Uh, this is going to be produced by Woo Me Myth, which is their, their company together, and it's uh, a mix of dance and music and what looks like some incredible visuals happening in both the form of video and costuming and some really elaborate makeup or, or skin textures, as far as I understand it. Anyway, they're creating an entire universe on stage, um, and they're presenting this this version of the work for Axis AZ, which is a festival taking place in Montreal. And uh, it's called Iridea to be pronounced as you wish, I've been informed. Uh, it's spelt I-R-E-D-E-A. And it's a it's a work of science fiction. It's it's in this world that's inspired by the uh, science fiction writer Philip K. Dick. And uh, it's tagged as a dance rock opera. So uh, thank you, Jen and Ted, for joining us today. And I hope I did your project uh, justice in that introduction. I want to maybe take a quick moment to talk about uh, the two of you and your woo-me myth and, and how this collaboration uh, came to be and what is the vision of the work that you're creating together? Um, so the, our vision of uh, dance rock operas, and this is, I guess, our second or second and a half dance rock opera, is to synthesize, you know, dance performance and really physical performance of different types and l live music um, and singing and vocalization and then some theatrical elements and bring those, those elements together in a way that really challenges the performers to uh, step outside of their comfort zone so that dancers have to vocalize and be involved in the sound creation and then musicians have to be physically present in the stage. And so that's one of the, the big ways that we approach performance is to like cross over these, these different types of performance. And then all of that is in the service, when we say woomy myth, all of that in the service of kind of trying to evoke the sense of mythology, create, you know, tell stories that can really like draw an audience in and give them an experience that they can relate to. Um, not necessarily for it to be like um, a simple narrative um, necessarily, but to create the sense of characters undergoing some kind of transformative experience that uh, that they grow from and to try to share that experience with the viewer so that they can go along with the with that performance yeah just to touch on the idea of um, mythology because if we go back to the history when ted and i first created our first show our inspiration um, came a lot through joseph campbell and he was an anthropologist who studied mythologies of like of uh you know all through the worlds and he he talked a lot about the hero's journey and that's something that really interested in us and so interested us so when we created the first show the duck wife it was really like an inuit mythology that we then you know took and, and put on stage with the live music and the dance and the theatrical elements and so fast forwarding i guess four years now although we started the show the idea for it about two two and a half years ago 
we were very then much inspired by the whole idea of science fiction and that even science fiction itself is a type of mythology of the modern world. And so we, we were very fascinated by that. And so we continue that exploration of how do we bring mythology onto the stage with all those theatrical elements to, to bring it to life and to, yeah, give, give that kind of inspiration to audiences. And how do you go about finding your your inspiration for the seed from Philip uh, Philip's work? Like, do you, have you just read a bunch of his work? Um, you know, is he the sole inspiration for the piece? I think you mentioned an, another source of inspiration just before we started the interview. Kind of, where do you draw the line on what what is in your universe and what isn't? Uh, as the artistic director, um, who's sort of like bringing the overall concept of the show um i really there's not many lines drawn there's like hundreds and hundreds of different inspiration sources um so there's just a lot of information coming in and then in in the creation process you know things happen um but um i think a couple of the bigger inspirations for the show was uh, one story uh by philip k dick called deus Irae, and a film called La Jetée, created by uh, French filmmaker Chris Marker in the uh, early 70s, I believe. And both of these stories are post-apocalyptic stories. And they approach them in in different sorts of ways. But uh, the post-apocalyptic kind of storyline really interested me a lot for a bunch of reasons. Um, One, because... um, and science fiction in general interested me a lot because we're living in a time now where um, we have like technologies available to us that really are sort of science fiction um, from even just 10 years ago. Some of the things that we can do now are really incredible. But um, I think that the, the society, we're taking a little while to for, sort of catch up and figure out what that means to us when stuff we have in our pocket is capable of performing like really powerful magic tricks, essentially. Um, and very quickly we're able to take that for granted. And similarly, uh, you know, our planet has, is undergoing this sort of climate crisis and there's a number of problems in the world. And we, if we read the news, the UN and scientists are telling us that, um, there's sort of a coming like major catastrophe in the world. And just like the technology we have in our pockets, I think everyone is very, very easy to just take that sort of thing for granted, um, and there's so many reasons for that, you know, and it's not and I'm not I'm not trying to make the show overtly political. But I think by um, having a story that that just deals with a time after the world has undergone some terrible calamity can just give the sense of what the possibilities are and what happens to the like individual human being who are performers on the stage, who are just, you know, regular people, regular souls who um, have their own strengths and weaknesses. How do those people relate to that calamity that has that has transpired? Uh, for myself, the I mean, if we go back like two and a half years to almost three years of just being like, let's create another show and being inspired by this idea of, ooh, let's take a look at the aesthetic of science fiction. For me, it's it's the aesthetic that really, um, that really attracted me. Like, it's really another, yeah, it, there's just so many layers and textures and just, you know, even sound and costumes and all of that. It just created a whole other world that we were able to delve into. And like Ted and I, 
at one point actually took an online course of uh, fantasy and science fiction that someone was giving. And that was really interesting because that's like, it was like a whole course devoted to studying science fiction as mythology and just understanding how that relates to our modern world and how we, we live nowadays in terms of that idea of mythology and a lot of a lot of science fiction films too have influenced us like the aesthetic you know the uh the concepts and and even timing like we've used a lot of those ideas in our pieces when we were watching film like how um directors in in major films like use timing just as one example and so it's been cool it's like a vast world that we've delved into and uh we'll continue to because i think this show that we're opening this summer is really just the start of Iridea and we, we really plan on continuing to develop it because, of course, as with resources, there's so much that we envision in our minds. So with time, we want to continue to refine and elaborate on what we really can do on the stage um, in this whole concept and for the show. And when it comes to those uh, those more philosophical and social commentary aspects of science fiction, how did you bring this into your new creation, especially dance, uh, which is it's not the, the sole extent of the the work, from what I understand. But through dance, it's it's always a bit more difficult to have a bit of a message or a discussion with the audience. How did you bring those aspects into the new creation? Yeah. <clears throat> that's that's true. That dilemma you just pointed out is, um, you know, one of the first questions that uh, we came up with and one of the challenges that we had in the earlier piece, The Duck Wife, which is in, in that show, um, to tell the story, we uh, we asked the dancers and performers to to act, essentially. And that's challenging because dancers are trained to dance, not to act. Um, and so we realized that in this show, if we wanted to have some really sort of weighty philosophical content, we needed to think of a, of a way to do that. And that, that for me, I had a big aha moment when I saw, when I saw uh, Chris Marker's La Jete, um, which is a, It's sort of a, it's called a photo essay. It's a film that's told through still images and then a, a voice narration and music. And the still images have a really powerful effect on the viewer because you have the time to, um, to watch more carefully what's going on. And it also gives the sense of a documentation in that photographs appear somehow more, more sort of journalistic almost so that it feels more real. And that's what led to the idea to create a photo essay, um, or sometimes we say a photographic film, um, that we're projecting onto a screen during the performance. And the photos will tell this, will further the story and the narrative. And then a voice narration will accompany those photos to, to try to tell that story. So these sections of the show, when we have these photo essays, there will be almost no movement by the dancers on the stage. So they'll sort of switch back and forth between the live performance and the photo essay. And, and that's not... The decision to do that is not simply because we want to um, use a voice to tell a story or something. There's a, there's a stronger meaning to it that... Um, I hesitate to dive into because I don't want to uh, miscommunicate it, but um, I'm, in the show, there's a sense that in the world that we're creating, there's a sense that people are being watched in this world. People are being monitored, surveilled, almost, similar to how we have in our world now, that everything we do digitally is recorded somewhere, and now we're finding out 
through the revelations um, released by Edward Snowden that uh, a lot of our information is being carefully tracked by governments around the world. Big surprise. And, um, and so in this world of our show, um, similarly, the characters are being uh, photographed by some unseen force. And, and so we're trying to depict the sense that the events that we're watching the performers uh, perform, we're also seeing those same events transpire through the photographs, and there's a sense of a mismatch between them, because what is photographed or what is documented is not necessarily the same as what actually occurs in the real world. And that's an important... Uh, that's an important theme for me because in our, our society now, it's very image-driven, and, and I mean that very literally image as in photographs. If we go on social networks uh, or on the web, photographs and video really drive our experience of many, many things. But what is the connection between those photographs and those vi videos, the connection between that, that and real events and the real people who are being depicted there, are they the same? Probably not. Of course not. We're producing them to look as exciting as possible. But we are letting those images, which are idealized forms of reality, you know, drive our, drive our decisions and drive our lifestyles. It's also very difficult to dissociate um, mythology from the spoken word, from oral history. Was this also something that you had in mind, the, the importance of, of the link between mythology, which is one of your fundamental themes in, in the work, to, to how it's been carried on through the ages? Absolutely. Um, yeah, oral history, storytelling is, you know, very likely one of the oldest art forms that people have practiced. It's 10,000, 100,000 years old. It's been going on for all time. You know, drumming maybe would be the, maybe something around similar or maybe older. Dancing also? Dancing, absolutely. <laughs> Dancing. So, and the ability to tell stories is so fundamental in our experience and something that, you know, it evolves, it's changed over history, but, um, but the ability to tell stories and, and listen to stories is, you know, one of our core experiences and that's definitely at the heart of this show. Jen, you've mentioned um, the aesthetic of science fiction, and Philip K. Dick is notoriously known for being difficult to adapt. His works have, um, have this reputation as, I mean, you take the, the, um, the movie A Scanner Darkly, where they used the technique of animation to make sure that the story would be told, uh, reflecting the, how dense and how difficult it was to adapt the story of, of A Scanner Darkly. How do you approach this in a form that is live performance and that is also, uh, you know, financially not as as viable as as movies that doesn't have as much funds and as much uh, available technology for it? I think we've done basically what other filmmakers have done is like they just take very like small, not small, but like very specific concepts within the story as the underlying inspiration and then from there we kind of elaborate our, our own and i know some of the characters are influenced by them but even some of the characters they go through a lot of changes to to suit what we've created and um yeah and i would definitely have to say that 
a lot of what we're doing right now in terms of the the technical aspect and the media part, it, it really comes down to Ted. He's been doing immense types of research, you know, um, in regards to all of that. And so I would say that, yeah, we take some of it from the book specifically. Um, the the book that yeah. we're drawing a few ideas from is called Deus Irae. Yeah, so some of the some of the ideas are, are taken from there and then we elaborate and we create like, you know, more and we, we flower it more. I think a lot of filmmakers have done that, right? They only take that yeah. basic. It's interesting that you bring up Scanner Darkly because that that's um, considered a Philip K. Dick adaptation that was most true to the original, whereas his other famous ones such as uh, Blade Runner and Minority Report changed and uh, total recall how can i forget um changed entirely the original stories um and all they really kept was the core kind of concept so in um blade runner there's an a, uh, a policeman who hunts androids who it turns out is an android himself and in uh, minority report it's policeman who uses precognition to catch crimes before they occur but then one day it turns out that the crime is being committed by himself so Philip K. Dick always plays these weird tricks with mirrors where it's always like a meta, meta, meta on something. And those core ideas is what, you know, has made Philip K. Dick's work so appealing um, because the ideas are so rich. Um, And so for our show, really the core of our show is to just take a nugget of an idea from the story and kind of make our own concept out of it is there a fear of um of being of creating a work that is too cerebral or too difficult to approach for an audience for a general audience is this something that you had in mind when you were creating it that's actually really that's it's good you brought that up because we've been talking a lot about these concepts and the whole like the political aspect the the, the social aspect but um that's actually a lot of it is cerebral for us and through our discussions but through the piece it's actually a lot more simplified because they're they're characters that go through something and um i don't think the piece is as cerebral as it sounds as we're talking about it like if you really think about it there's one character you know she wakes up after the apocalypse um should i yeah okay i'll I'll give like a really rough um kind of introduction to the storyline there the character wakes up i play the lead character she wakes up after the apocalypse you know in the deserted land and um discovers that her body is paralyzed and so um then someone comes along and gives her a prosthetic that gives her body life again so basically turns her bionic and so after that when she discovers this power that the prosthetic has given to her she also discovers she's an artist and so through those two things that that has happened discovering she's an artist given power back to her life others then use you know her to manipulate her to go on a mission to find the man that ended the world and so the, it's the story is really just about like just like connecting to this character and watching her go through meeting different characters in her own struggle um, and, and looking for this character. So it doesn't have that same kind of cerebralness in the show. It's more just watching and relating these characters as they, as they move through the piece uh, to come to the end of, you know, the final decision. That's something we haven't talked about at all uh, so far, which is a movement. Like, um, how did you come up with a movement? How did you approach creating movement for a space rock opera? Oh, yeah. The choreography has actually, it's been really challenging for this because when we first started with the piece, 
we had almost we had basically a storyboard like scenes sections ideas of what this is what this is what this is and creating it was really challenging at first because i got really stuck in the literal and really stuck in the story and the narrative where i was finding it really hard to just break out of that to create just you know the abstract movement part of it so through a series of processes i'm not sure what happened but eventually we were able to come to find that i think for me it was like having to step away from the characters and the story and the scenes and the storyboard and all of that and try to relate to the basic idea of each scene, like what the feeling is, what is the character going through and finding a way to relate it to myself so that I can then go and just create movement as opposed to trying to fit something into a narrative. And it just became so like awkward because it was like, oh, this is too literal. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm supposed to look for something. And then I'm like looking and I'm like, what? That's not interesting. I'm just looking for something. So it was, it's been quite a process. Yeah. And one, one thing that helped along that along the road to that was um, we had a, a workshop with uh, David Albert Toth, who came in and, and worked with us. Yeah, that was great. He came in one day. We were really in a place where we were kind of stuck in that in that crux there. And he just helped us a lot to, 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 to redirect how we were going to approach the choreography. It was really one of those days where it was like, oh, thank you, David. I'm going to send you this and have you listen to it. But he, he did a lot to help us understand how we could approach it from that non-literal narrative place. And from going from a place where you have a lot of outside sources and inspirations and kind of bringing it into a studio with real people, you mentioned, David, um, who else have you guys been maybe using as either outside eyes or even, um, I know there's a there's a lot of picture work or video work that you guys are working with, a lot of technology. Um, how are you guys juggling all of these different tasks and performing within the work itself? We have a... Uh amazing group of collaborators working on the show um i'm gonna try to mention a few of them uh sandra chirico is creating costumes has created beautiful beautiful costumes um and um at the end we'll give a link so you can go and see some of this stuff and uh clement Ye has built us some props uh notably a robotic performer that i'll just leave it at that um <laughs> uh, we have a special skin design um, and for that, I collaborated with a tattoo artist who is uh, in New Zealand to design this whole skin concept that is worn by Jen in the show. Um, Tristan Brand is photographer, and he has photographed all the material that will be used in the, the photo essays that I was describing before. And you'll see his work on our Facebook, and all of the media images come from, yeah, from Tristan. I'll, I'll remember names maybe in throw them after but that's a few of the collaborators and to answer i mean how how we're working oh yeah among dancers there's maxine sagalowitz mark madrano karsten kroll and melina stinson are our dancers and they're not there's only uh, four performers on stage including jen and i so there's sort of alternates so um among those dancers so this seems like quite the huge monster of a project. And how do you guys juggle all of these tasks of not only managing so many different performers, different collaborators, but all this different information um, on this fantasy world that you guys have created? Well, the honest truth is we're learning how to manage that right now. <laughs> Juggling is a good analogy. Mm-hmm. We had a very big rehearsal yesterday um, at the Jesus Church where we're, uh, we have a residency. And... Uh, if juggling is an analogy, then we dropped some balls yesterday. So uh, <laughs> it's hard. 
It's very <laughs> difficult, yeah. and um, we've taken on maybe more than <laughs> we should have. Um, we don't have really very much money, and our collaborators are being very, very generous, and we're so excited that they're willing to sort of share in the excitement with us and go along with some of this um, as much as possible. So it's... <laughs> yeah, we always, whenever we're doing things... Um we're always like, well, one day when we get the show off, you know, off, we're going to have someone to like carry our props, you know, for us. And someone is going to be the one operating like the, the remote sounds and all of that. Like yesterday, I think Ted and I probably spent like three hours like lugging all of our gear, which filled up the whole car, had to set it up, take it down, bring it back. And it, it was a lot of gear. So, yeah, it's 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 tough because we are wearing a lot of hats and Teddy's wearing a lot of hats because he's the artistic director he's doing all the research he's doing all the technical setup he's creating the music he's working on the narration with kai kello oh yeah kai kello is another collaborator who's uh helping to write the the script what else are you doing teddy i don't even know anymore and we have a fundraising campaign radio actually. interviews oh radio interviews that's gonna <laughs> interviews. come up to promotions is gonna start coming up so it's uh it's a hustle for sure and the festival that you guys are participating in and um it's uh how much assistance do they have as far as the programming are they presenting you do you feel like you have to you can at least take that hat off of having to promote honestly no i still feel like us as artists still need to push it oh mohammed hamad he's also going to be our website social media guy so he's going to help us a lot with that and oh, from where are the shows yeah from where are the shows mm-hmm. totally um yeah the festival has like all their programmation and i think that for me i, I want to try to fill up you know our seats so I'm I'm already I'm thinking he's you know when we first met with Koshro he's like oh Koshro he's amazing from Koshro Baramadi is the uh, artistic director of Axe Azi mm-hmm. and he approached us uh, last year um, after we performed in Vusola Radev and uh, that started the conversation that led to us performing and uh, yeah he's been really supportive and helping us as, along the way as much as possible but um, every show needs to be promoted yeah. you know from every possible angle. Yeah. And uh, yeah, even though Kosho was like, don't worry about it, just be an artist. And I'm like, I can't do that. Like, I need to, you know, we need to work on this. We need to push, we need to fundraise. We need to make side of you. Yeah, this is the side <laughs> of me because I know, because we don't, we don't, we don't have like our own flyers either. So that's something that I'm going to have to do because I would like to have our own just to distribute. So there's always like a lot to do when it comes to promotion. It's like a three time, three person job. So yeah, there's, yeah. A lot of layers, not only that you're wearing on yourself, but also within the within the show. And when we're when we're talking about storytelling and movement, things that you know, with storytelling where the audience imagines the story with the words, or movement where where the audience could pretty much write their own story, influenced by the movement. So, how do those two worlds? meet you know so that's that's where i'm really excited to see this work and where you guys have taken it um this journey that's been been on the go for the last two years it's that's crazy it's exciting i'm excited <laughs> so speaking of all this technology that's involved in the production you actually uh, brought a little show and tell for us today now i don't know how well this is going to work on the podcast but you've actually got is set up with your your iphone here with a bunch of buttons on the screen. And when you press them, this other little thing you've got in your other hand, it's like a, it looks like just the tip of a microphone and it's gonna make the sound and you can move it around. So I'll just explain 
what just happened. Um, so I've got in my hand a, uh, a Bluetooth speaker, a just tiny little mini Bluetooth speaker. And on my other hand, I have an iPod with an app called uh, S4 Pad. And uh, the app is sort of playing sample bits of audio, and I can play it like an instrument. Why don't you wave that one around so we can hear it? You were saying that the the performers actually wear these things. So so yeah, these Bluetooth speakers are tiny, so that they can be placed onto a performer's body somewhere or into an object on the stage, and then I can play the sounds live. And this is how we can start to create some of the magic that we all love in science fiction movies, um, which is you know fun illusions. Uh, tricking the eye, tricking the ear. And uh, what's amazing is that this technology is now sort of affordable for kind of uh, amateur production companies like ours. Um, and you don't have to break the bank. And so a lot of my research time is exploring different ways to use really simple pieces of technology, like little Bluetooth speakers, lasers, flashlights, and doing uh, LEDs and doing uh, creating exciting lighting effects, sound effects, and things like that. Also in the show, which won't happen in May, but it's it's in development, hopefully for June. But we're using Kinect, which is a video game developed by Microsoft, mm-hmm. right? So Teddy is going to program um, a video game, basically, that we're going to incorporate into the show as like a live kind of interaction between one of the performers and the actual video game to create, again, the illusion that we're in this landscape and something is happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's using, similar to like interactive graphics that... that I think dance companies have been using for a while. The uh, Kinect interface created by Microsoft and it's used with the Xbox has been sort of uh, hacked by the open source community. And so um, there's ways of programming it to create your own um, experiences. And it's a really great tool because you just put it in front of a screen and when you move around, anybody who's played an Xbox maybe has tried this, but um, you move around and it detects the movements and we can create a a customized kind of experience with that, um, which is... A challenging thing. So if anybody out there loves playing with uh, gadgets and technology and you want to use that in the service of creating amazing shows, um, or if you have any interest at all in this, you can email me. Um, my email address is ted at uh, And we'd love to talk. And just, you know, if you have any questions or anything, we'd love to talk. And we're always looking for new people to collaborate on this work in any, in any way. Yeah, that's been the fun of this project because we have so many collaborators and we've just been meeting with people, you know, Ted's been meeting with people, talking to people, just getting ideas and input and, and finding different people who are interested. So like Ted said, if you're interested, contact us. There's still a lot of, you know, development and exploration. I do want to mention too, uh, eBay is clearly like a huge, uh, <laughs> a huge inspiration, or like a huge, you know, phenomenon in our, our modern life here but and ebay's been a huge influence on our show because a lot of the technology and so many of the different gadgets and and things that we're experimenting with basically is a uh, an ongoing you know game of search for ted and we've gotten so much cheap stuff too from ebay like uh, it's been quite quite cool i'm curious about uh these speakers in particular they they must create kind of like a 3d effect in the space if you have like your sound coming from one specific point um do you at the moment do you still foresee this project as like a as a presentation in front of the audience or is there something 
are you interested in, in kind of an immersive environment? It seems like that kind of bleeds that world a little bit. You mean sort of like um, the kind of performance where you, the the audience is mixed in with the performers? Yeah. Um, I think we're wide open to the possibilities of where this show could evolve to. Um, and in, on May 1st, there's a showcase event for the XAZ Festival. And uh, that will be in a more of a, like a sort of lounge setting. And so that will be kind of an immersive way of approaching it because there's just a tiny little stage. So we're hoping to put the performers into the crowd and explore that way. But that definitely interests me. I haven't given like tons of thought to how to connect like this particular speaker with the, that idea. But I, I think it's a really cool idea worth, worth checking out. Cool. This project sounds so explosive and so like extravagant and amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's extravagant. We have very, very high hopes. More than sometimes we feel like we can handle, but that's cool. I guess taking risks and, and making it ambitious is fun and we'll see where happens to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We also want it. I mean, I, I always need to remember and recognize that um, when a person comes to a theater and sits down, what they see in front of them are people. And those people are moving in a certain way. And that's really like 80 or 90% of what they experience. And so any um, fancy technology that gets added to that is really just kind of details. And I, I still think that the show is at its core a dance performance. And nothing that I can add to it with like tricks will be able to enhance it that much. It really comes down to our performers like going through a process of developing choreography and movement and being able to come into the space with the right headspace and, and delivering that performance. And that's most of what, what the viewer will experience. So I need to always keep in mind that that's, that's the core of everything. And gadgets will never, um, will never supersede that. And I think everybody has seen kind of technology-based shows that try to use a lot of of, of gadgets and effects and too often those shows end up being just a kind of a novelty and after five ten minutes you're like okay i get it what is the show really about where is it going and we really want to avoid like that kind of thing that it's that a novelty based kind of Mm -hmm. show we want to like avoid that so that's a big challenge all the time to like juggle all those different elements we're taking a lot of big risks anyways with the technology that we are using even if they're like little speaker things that we're sticking on to dancers and stuff like that uh so now that everybody has a taste for this and is uh you know chomping at the bit to see the show uh we can let them know that it will be playing at festival access asie uh, may 3rd and 4th uh here in montreal and then again in june as you mentioned jen at the montreal fringe festival that's uh, running from the 12th to the 22nd and then ottawa gets a chance to see the show right after from june 20th to 30th and our listeners have another 32 days left to contribute to your indiegogo campaign if they are so inspired Inspired to do so. Um, as we've discussed, this is obviously a very ambitious project and a lot of people involved, which means you need the funding for it. So this is, I, I imagine, one of several means that you're using to try and get some funding for the project. Yeah, we've um, we've just started this a couple of weeks ago just because we came to a place where like, oh, we need, we definitely need more funding to, to get some of the last minute kind of, uh, you know, just props and, and materials and paying dancers extra rehearsals and 
rehearsal directors. So we started an Indiegogo campaign. We're looking to raise $4,000 by May 15th to help us move into the fringe. So anyone who is interested, please come and, and check out our Indiegogo campaign under uh, Projects Iridea. I-R-E-D-E-A. Iridea. Yep. And uh, contributions can be $5, $5 to help 15 artists out. So we would greatly appreciate uh, checking that out and and if you can't uh, afford to contribute money and you're involved in the performing arts in Montreal and you'd like to potentially be involved in our production, please get in touch. And I do recommend going to the Indiegogo page, if only just to see this video, because it's pretty spectacular. And we can really see those visuals that you're talking about with the skin and, this, and the costuming. And it's just, it's really stunning. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to have a, a taste of the sound from the production. Ted, can you introduce what we're about to listen to? This is one of the, the musical tracks um, being used in the show that is that is played when the artist character is really discovering her talent and it's going through this process of discovery. Thank you. 
Dirty Feet is recorded every week at the Montreal Improv Theater. Check them out at montrealimprov.com. Dirty Feet est produit et animé par Produced and hosted by Alison Burns J.D. Papillon et Stéphanie Moret-Robert You can find out more about our show at nomoreradio.com Follow us on Twitter at Dirty Dirty Feet and find us on Facebook at Dirty Feet Podcast Vous pouvez écouter tous nos épisodes sur notre site web ou vous pouvez vous abonner également sur iTunes à notre podcast Listen to past episodes on website or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes While you're there, be sure to give us a rating and or leave a comment to help us spread the word. Tune in next week for a whole new show.